Hi, and welcome to Ungodly, the magical grimoireum, where we'll be talking very loudly. Uh, we're in another heat wave. We have some fans on. I think we would expire if we uh, turn them off. So Yeah, unfortunately, it's just a very, very hostile environment at the moment for recording. It's just noisy as hell, but we're doing our best here. Yeah, we, we are. And... Um, uh, if you followed us on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see that we're kind of doing a um, who's who character um, analysis sort of a thing of who's appeared in our stories thus far. And we're just going to um, uh, put those all together today for you and lay those out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've covered quite a few interesting people so far just within the first two episodes of our story. So. That's why we felt it was a good idea to do sort of episode two and a half mm-hmm. and just kind of flush out those ideas a little bit more for listeners who perhaps are a little less familiar with their, their histories, etc. Yeah, and it's good for us too. I'm, I especially am still learning, so uh, to have things laid out in front of me that I can go back and refer on, very important, so yes, yes, it's good for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so first... Um, we will be talking about Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. Uh, he was the German occult writer, a legal scholar, polymath, and physician, um, amongst other things. He, Dude had a lot of hats. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually still um, prominent and well-regarded today for his three books of occult philosophy. Um, and I believe that was written around 1533. Yep, 1533-34. Okay, okay. And uh, his works were notably inspired by Kabbalah, Hermeticism, and Neoplatonism. So you might know what the Jewish Kabbalah is. Um, and uh, uh, But Hermeticism is a combination of magic from ancient Greece, Egypt, and Babylonia. And it's described as uh, having a rebirth through the knowledge that you gain of God, the world, and humankind. And it, uh, as Besh was telling me, it's kind of seen as folk magic-y. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you compare it to something like, say, the, uh, the Abramelin, which is a very long, complicated, rigid ritual of, you know, just bowing down in penance to the mighty forces of the heavens, etc., constantly, like, it's basically a, a self-flagellation ritual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you compare that to lots of the stuff in, say, the, the Greek magical papyri, which are a bit of a misnomer because they were written in Egypt. Um, you've got simple things like 17 ways to cast a love spell with an apple. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was a lot more um, kind of like what was going on in England with the cunning folk, people just trying to solve their problems. Right, right. Yeah. Cool, and just to circle back, um, because I, I see this a lot when reading about um, magic and uh, philosophy. So this this knowledge that we speak of, like coming across knowledge of God and humankind and, and the world, uh, to me that is is basically finding that knowing of the one, like 
it's all one, the mm. world is one, yeah. the universe is one. Yeah, that, the, the that's Greeks how I refer to it as Pan. Yeah, yeah. that's how, uh, which is different than Pan, the Celtic god. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> I just also I get confused when also people... different from the the Greek god by the same name. As there well, you too. go. <laughs> yeah. But maybe Pan uh, will come. The the Celtic one will be one of our characters at some point. Cause fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, very cheeky. <laughs> um, all right. So, and uh, he worked with Agrippa, sorry, worked with natural magic. Uh, so, this is different than ritual magic, so summoning um, spirits. And well, he, did, he did a bit of both. I, I'm, I've got to step in on that one. Okay. Because, like, um, the Abramelin would definitely count as ritual magic. I don't think he ever actually did it. Sorry, what's the Abramelin? Uh, the, the long, complicated ritual that uh, Alistair Crowley rented that house in the south of France for, and he spent six months doing all sorts of shit there. And, yeah. Oh, and he did that based off of Agrippa's? Uh, yeah, from Agrippa's book, he, he took the Abramelin, which is a long, complicated, rigid ritual that I mentioned previously. And uh, so it's not so much... Okay, but it's I, not like summoning. A, it's not like a seance or... Sort of, because like, you're trying to summon angels and stuff, too. Um, but... What I mean to say is that he he wrote about ritual magic, but was more inclined toward the natural science. Yeah. Okay. Magic. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I can agree with that. Um, uh, so, but you can define natural magic as uh, natural science. So that includes, you know, chemistry, alchemy, astronomy. So it's very, I guess one would say, tactile magic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's practical, it's involved. It's practical applied. magic. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, and then, uh, so this natural magic uh, was carried forward by Agrippa through demonic magic. And demonic is in quotes, just because it's not the same sort of demons that we think of today is why I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's goetic demons. And um, these creatures were ultimately seen and are ultimately seen as divinity they're divine yeah they're uh they're very particular uh one of the words that that was commonly used around that time would be rays of emanation you know so they're one particular perspective of the godhead okay you know like a like a concentrated aspect of the all and uh yeah Okay, perfect. Um, sorry. And uh, then we're moving on to, how fittingly, a goetic demon, Ranove, or Vonwe, as we call yeah. him. Right. Uh, it, it's debatable what, what people have heard his name differently. Yeah, yeah it's been written in magic. at least seven different ways, and none of them quite really look like they're pronounced like each other either. <laughs> <laughs> Um, excuse me. I don't know if you heard that. Maybe the founds drowned it out. <laughs> um, so Ronway teaches art and language. Um, so so that just goes with the idea that I'm saying. It's um, more of a, a spirit. Um, so I don't know. That's something I'm grappling with is the fact that these are called demons, but they, they kind of just seem like gods. Yeah, I mean, in, in our modern world, demon is a very loaded term. Yes. It's technically more correct. It's just we've confused the meaning from its original basis. You know? 
Right, right. Um, and just as a reminder, this was the goetic demon that had a staff, and his lower body looks like a, sorry, what animal again? Yeah, he's sort of fawnish. Fawnish, yeah. 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 Um, and he's the one in our story who gave the Egyptian god Thoth, who was in the bar with Agrippa, um, he gave Thoth a mushroom, and he had a little psilocybin chip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <they> did. <laughs> Yeah, and then he came back and invented hieroglyphics and all this nonsense and became the scribe of the gods. Right, the scribe of the gods. Both. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, so then I guess we can move on to Thoth. We, we talked a lot about Saint-Germain Saint already. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we're clear on that. He's possibly a vampire. I <laughs> 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 definitely a count. And, uh, well, actually, even that's debatable. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, a man who in the 1700s was perceived to have lived hundreds of years and might still be alive today. Uh, he was a famous alchemist. All right, so moving on to both. All right. Uh, so Thoth is a complicated character to unfold, and, and quite rightly so. Uh, it should be noted that the name Thoth is actually an ascription. Uh, so it's not the original name under which this deity was originally worshipped and understood. Uh, it's the Greek name for him. Hmm. The original name, uh, Jehuti, is what would be an ancient Egyptian. Uh, but there is some scholarly debate as to whether or not this is just perhaps a similar deity and identities get a little bit conflated because it's not exactly that they're all on the census. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's census time in Canada. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it seems that the, the Greeks of the Ptolemaic era either completely mistook Jehuti for being essentially the same as Hermes or what the Romans would later call Mercury. Um, or it just might have been the same with a different name. That's one of the tricky things about this. And it's not made any easier by the fact that Thoth was later uh, given the name Hermes Trismegistus. Could you maybe just for a sec talk about the connection between Hermes and Hermeticism? Yeah, this is essentially where it comes from. So the, the Corpus Hermetica is rumored to have been written by one Hermes Trismegistus. Now, Personally, I think that that's um, sort of a pen name adopted by uh, a very educated and advanced priest of sorts. Mm. Uh, but it was kind of deified. Um, and so, yeah, Hermes Trismegistus, or, or Hermes Thrice Great, is the name associated with those, but that also became uh, sort of a catch-all for the dude who writes magic shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's why the, the Corpus Hermetica is, it, it's a collection of works. It's not just one book, but there's very little agreement among practitioners or scholars as to what really should be part of the, you know, whether the Emerald Tablet should be included, etc. It's, it's all up in the air because of this name confusion and Okay, and then another thought just occurred to me. So when you say scribe of the gods, it's almost like the gods are giving secrets of magic to Thoth, hmm. right? And well, he's mm -hmm. the writer of magic? I think that uh, 
he already was inherently embedded in magic and, and adept at magic, but he was bestowed the grave responsibility of documenting everything that the gods did. So when somebody died and they went to the underworld, of course their soul was weighed to see whether or not they were going to go to this place okay. or that, right? So he didn't get his magical knowledge from the gods, per se, as well. He, he probably got more, but yeah, I think he, he walked into the game already talented. Okay, okay, cool. But yeah, so he was he was responsible for all the record keeping, so he would be the guy who would write down the judgment after you were, after you were assessed in okay, the underworld. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> and so, obviously, he has deep associations with writing, language, communication, and, of course, as you mentioned, magic. Um, so it's pretty, uh, a pretty heavy burden for one entity. Maybe that's why it's possibly more than one. Well, yeah, and he sounds a bit, a little bit like uh, Ronway, because yeah. Ronway uh, teaches language. So Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we have all these spirits to help <laughs> out with these huge tasks. And so as if just his name isn't complicated enough, but the ancient Egyptians themselves couldn't even agree on the origin of this one. Um, some would have it that the, uh, the sort of primus impetus, the uh, story where Thoth just emerged from the lips of Ra as the first communication, you know, and that kind of correlates to the, the um, biblical sense that, you know, in the beginning there was the logos, the word, and, you know, it was just form. Born came from the word, and that's what some people say was Thoth as well. Um, others insist on more of a sort of like cause sui origin, or like making oneself uh, sort of like his uh, his first wife, not. Uh, she's the goddess of justice and order. Um, but yeah, sort of a formless forming or a spontaneous generation of sorts. Like a big bang for an individual? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then others still think that some sort of accidental fellatio at a distance happened, where the god Set somehow consumed the semen of Horus, oh and then popped out of Set's forehead. <laughs> so a... Set's also Egyptian, obviously, yeah. just reminding everyone we're yeah. talking about Egyptian mythology. Uh, there's, I think Set actually is also related to a Chaldean god, but I can't quite remember that at the moment. Um, but as far as I can glean, there is at least some agreement with Thoth, uh, namely that his daughter, the goddess Sashat, was born to Nat, uh, but his son, the god Neferor, was born to his other wife, Nechmuit, uh, and herself being a goddess of protection. So, busy family, weird shit going on. Yeah, and just to remind everyone, this, these are kind of those, they have the body of people and an animal sort of head. Um, in Thoth's case, it's like a bird with a long, pointy beak. Yeah, yeah, it's an ibis. It's a very common Egyptian waterfowl. And I think that part of the reason that that association was made was that the, um, the ibis would always hang out in, in the reeds looking for fish. And so if somebody followed the ibis, they would find both fish and papyri to write on. So I think that's part of how we cool. got his writing association. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the essential function of, of the deity of Thoth is the representative of all collected knowledge, writing, science, wisdom, and communication. Like I said, it's a hell of a task, but they're kind of inextricably interdependent roles. Um, 
He's also noted, especially as the entity, as Juthi, uh, as the uh, keeper and creator of all language. Uh, but because of this, uh, all his wisdom and communication, Thoth was frequently regarded and referred to as sort of an arbitrator amongst disputing deities or even neighbors, or uh, even if they didn't really necessarily have courts per se in strategic, but if there was a legal issue, he was often looked to as you know, a balancing force. Okay. Um, and yeah, he, he was known for having like uh, some even temperament. And you could say he's eloquent and has good bedside manners. Nice. He even ran sort of like an Airbnb in the underworld of a mansion of Thoth. <laughs> so that departed souls would have somewhere to just chill out on their underworld journey. He seems like a really friendly god. Right? Sometimes they're they're not so nice sounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he seems he seems like somebody I would want to have a deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's move on to the next one because I'm rambling on about Thoth a little too much here. Wait, really quickly. Mm-hmm. How would you work with Thoth in terms of magic? Mm, well... Just to give people some practical ideas about how all these people were talking about, sorry, gods and spirits were talking about how you would mm-hmm. use them practically. Yeah. Well, I think one of the most ideal ways uh, would be to, if possible, get a feather of an ibis and use that as a quill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm personally big into sigil magic, so that's probably the route that I would take. And sigils are uh, basically doing some symbols and drawings um, to evoke what you're uh, trying to have come past. So yeah. if you want to become a better writer, there's a sigil for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> you you should create it. It helps to be very specific in your goals because uh, when you're dealing with the other world, they've often got a bit of a different sense of humor than what we do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, being as precise as possible is important. But I think that with Thoth, one would probably be more likely to get a favorable result just out of his good nature. Yeah, and also I just want to say, you said it's probably a good idea to get the specific, sorry, what's the word again? Ibis. The Ibis feather. Um, however, with magic, you could, it's really symbolic as well. So you can get a feather that you find off the ground, yes. basically, and it's say, necessary. this is a writing feather, and use it in your magic. Like, it's very flexible. It's about intention and, obviously, about belief. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you could use any feather that you want. The only reason I would recommend the Ibis not necessarily because of the association, but because that association already exists, it helps to keep our mind focused and concentrated on what we're associating with. Right, right. And um, so you mentioned sigils, and I just want to say, I, I'm kind of sometimes an active magic practitioner, but mostly passive, I would say, in the traditional sense. So I do um, uh, uh, altars, and... I'll put things like, yeah, feathers, depending on on what I'm trying to make happen for myself. Or, you know, of course, celebrating the equinox. Um, So just even doing like a little uh, altar on your kitchen table is a form of magic. Oh, absolutely. Just putting those items out and having intention for what, what you seek or what you celebrate or what you give thanks to. Yeah. I mean, another way that I would uh, 
sort of try to make stuff up into clothes would be just to make really nice tea and sit down and read a challenging book mm, yeah and just ask those you know like help guide me through this help me understand this yeah that's beautiful yeah it yeah. can be really really simple and people get this confused notion of magic being a complicated thing mm. um yeah i think we're ready to move on to mesmer totally uh so france anton mesmer uh he was born may 23rd in 1734 in a little place called Itznang in the southern region of Schwabia in Germany. And he died not far from there on March 5th, 1815. And he was a strange fellow too. Uh, his notion of animal magnetism, uh, which seems to me kind of like an isolated form of qi or qi, is striking for multiple reasons, uh, not the least of which is how many times it's been claimed to be proven and disproven. Mm-hmm. There is, however, some solid science regarding the unequivocal fact that living beings have an electromagnetic field and are affected by other electromagnetic fields or by disturbances in their own. So basically, our, our, some, some would describe it as our aura, basically. Yeah, yeah. Although I think, um, I think aura I is, <laughs> I think that contains a little extra. Yeah. yeah. And I also don't think that Mesmer was quite correct about the uh, magnetic electromagnetic field of the human body being generated by the spleen. I think that's a bit of a confused notion, but hey, I mean, we went through all sorts of weird bits of science, and he was right in the time where it, lots of confused notions were floating. Around. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's no longer in question in modern biology that we have this field. Uh, and people are well aware of the debates around cell phone use and tumor development, uh, not to mention all that madness around 5G. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question really is, like, why have we accepted this principle, but largely... By the way, we do not subscribe to conspiracy theories. <laughs> no, I just have to make that very clear, because I know some people and their families are getting swept up into QAnon, and I think that's very dangerous. And Yeah, don't um, go blowing up. Cell phone I'm, towers. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting my foot down. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Let's keep a level head here, folks. <laughs> as best we can in this mad world. Uh, so yeah, as I was saying, like the question is sort of like, why have we accepted this principle, but we've largely ignored one of the pioneers and his insights regarding this field? I mean, even if he was wrong about some things, like the spleen, that doesn't mean you throw the whole baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Uh, but there is a reason for it, and it's largely because in 1784, Benjamin Franklin ran a bit of a psyop smear campaign. Uh, he was essentially he was sent by the Academy of Sciences to investigate Mesmer, who was being accused of fraud. Uh, and how he went about doing that was essentially demanding that he perform things with his techniques and technologies that they were not designed to do. And he also didn't well they didn't allow for uh, the appropriate working conditions for actual demonstrations of the efficacy of the wacky shit that he was working on. Yeah, common theme, right? That's like yeah, with what Charlotte, our fictional character in the first story, was talking about with herbalism. Mm-hmm. There's not enough studies that are, give the actual uh, proper, like that are conducive. Sorry, ah, it's hot. They're just not carried out properly. And so therefore how... How can, and there's not enough of them to prove or disprove. So I imagine it was the same sort of thing in this situation where mm-hmm. 
they're having this extent and it's none of the conditions are proper. Yeah, yeah. The experiment was designed to fail in Paris. Yeah. Um, and it's, you're right, that's, that's all too common. Uh, however, like, despite that, uh, James Braid, the, the Scottish dude in 1842, uh, based in large part on the work of Mesmer, developed the techniques of uh, hypnosis. And he's not so maligned, nor is hypnosis, as are Mesmer and Mesmerism, but that's its own thing. Uh, the assertion that Braid and Charles Braden made that there was uh, no reason to have a fluidic model to explain the phenomenon that they were evidencing ironically bottlenecked the scope of the uh, applicability of this principle, whereas Mesmer had a, a much more natural and integrative model, which would have spurred the potential much further, at least in my opinion. Okay, sorry, can you can you whittle that down a bit? But... Yeah, yeah, so this, this whole animal magnetism thing, uh, he, he perceived it as being essentially some sort of fluid that okay. was going in and out of us and our environment. Yeah. Uh, and you could cause ripples, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he initially was working with actual magnets. So the fluid is kind of like chi, like the, an energy flowing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Yeah, yeah. It's something that flows and behaves like a fluid. Okay. Um, and so at first he was working with actual magnets to manipulate that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually he realized that with his own Body. electromagnetic field, he could do it without holding a magnet. And Sounds like Reiki a little bit, which we'll be getting yes, into. Yes, it does. And uh, so, yeah, he, that's that's part of where this misunderstanding with Braden and Braden comes from, is they thought that it was purely a psychological effect, that there was nothing actually physiological about it, apart from essentially the ability of the placebo effect to create real physiological okay. change. Um, my brain's going uh, <laughs> we're almost done <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he, he had like Mesmer had a, a much more fluidic model like I was saying and um, a more holistic and dynamic model is far more useful than the sort of lose 30 pounds or quit smoking or tell your boss off today kind of hypnosis that we see circulating <laughs> around um, but the problem is that he kind of blew his own mind uh, I would say that this is one of those cases where the work was too big for the personality. Mm. Uh, he didn't quite have the psychological constitution to withstand the uh, inflationary energy thrust into his ego when his popularity soared and when people marveled at what he was what was being accomplished. He decided to go with the thought, fuck me, I'm marvelous. I'm the marvel. Oh no. Yeah, as happens unfortunately often. Uh, so despite legitimate work as a physician breaking through into new and useful territory... This is a guy who literally had hundreds and hundreds of patients. Yeah, yeah. And there like were... People flocked to him. Yes, exactly. And there were no cases of any of them being in any way harmed. Mm -hmm. And just about everybody, and I'm talking like a ridiculous high rate, just about everybody walked away, if not totally healed, at least improved. That's incredible. Right? Um... So yeah, just despite all this useful physician work that he was doing, he ended up being kind of like that friend that we all have who took acid a few too many times and is convinced that aliens and angels are engaged in economic trade with human spirits as their currency, but <laughs> the Pleiadians are like the galactic anarcho-socialist hippies trying to restore the balance, and for some reason, your friend is destined to aid them in this balancing act. You know the type, right? 
There are so often guitarists. Uh, Mesmer ended up succumbing to the temptations and devaluing himself through kind of quackery and snake oil bullshit, even though he actually had the right idea at first and it proved effective and promising. It was just, in the end, too much for his personality, and it became more of a showman than anything else. Um, the he, limelight got to him. Yeah, yeah, like he started donning these fucking ridiculous wizard hats and waving wands around, popping through the audience, batting people on the yeah. head with his wand and being like, Get up! You are healed! Like he was some sort of evangelical faith healer or something. Yeah, he went nutty. Uh, I don't want to go into the biographical stuff too much more because it's it's all readily available. You know, he's not that far off in history that we've got some good accounts of it. Uh, but it seems that so often the context is missed or shrunk or glossed over, so I felt it was imperative to kind of editorialize it a little bit. So just remember, check yourself before you wreck yourself because even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening. And uh, this will be great knowledge for our upcoming episode um, and episodes in general. So yeah, thank you so much for your support. And please visit us at ungodly uh, on Instagram, which is at un.godly. Same on Facebook and I believe, oh, Instagram is at un underscore godly. Uh, no, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is at un underscore Sorry, godly podcast. Uh, we're also now on Patreon, so if you want to check that out, we'll wind up having some new exclusive content down the line. Uh, for the moment, it's a little bit nascent, but be patient. Uh, so patreon.com slash ungodly podcast. Uh, or if you just want to cruise the YouTubes, we're on there too. Look it up. Ungodly Podcast. Cheers. Thanks so much, people.